Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars about game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers at Metatopia 2023. Episode 358 Ethical AI Usage Presented by Jason Pitt, Ash Kreider, Vivian Young, Eric Whalen, and Tristan Zimmerman. All right. Hello, everyone. Turns out a lot of people want to talk about ethical AI? <laughs> Question mark? Uh, so I wanted to have the panel because I prefer in-person Metatopia discourse over the ruins of what used to be Twitter discourse. <laughs> um, so, uh, my name is Jason Tip of Genesis of Legend Publishing, game designer, layout artist, writer, etc. Um, I don't think AI has stolen layout yet, but it's coming. Uh, hi, I'm Eric Whalen. I'm a California attorney. Um, I'm also a co-host uh, on a uh, talk show called Week Public that you can find on YouTube. Um, I think AI started to take legal jobs. Um, but they're really bad at it. So they keep getting better. I don't know. It, it's not entirely comfy. Uh, I'm in a very similar boat. Hi, I'm Vivian. I work as a UX designer uh, for design agency and uh, use AI uh, in our work. Um, I also, what's interesting too is though, I just got my foot wet as a game artist. I started recently contracting as a character artist, so kind of like in the middle of being an artist and also a technologist. Uh, hi, my name is Ash Kreider. Um, I, uh, my kid design credentials are actually less relevant than my professional credentials, which are content, social media marketing for a software company. Uh, and our clients are Telecom. Um, uh, Facebook got really close to I'm, like replacing my job, and then they ruined their own platform, so I'm less worried than I was. Um, but you're also an artist. I mean, uh, I... Professionally, you are trained as an artist and have done art. Yes, however, I'm here I'm here specifically to represent uh, the queer resistance uh, approach to AI. Uh, oh, legit. Uh, but I wanted to also claim you have artist credentials. I do not have artist credentials. I mean, I'm technically <laughs> uh, But yeah, that's, uh, that's what I bring. Uh, hi, I'm Tristan Zimmerman. Uh, like Ash, my game design credentials are less relevant uh, than the fact that for my... Uh, my square job, uh, I have a background in geospatial analysis and have uh, actually built some machine learning models. Uh, so I'm here because I can speak to the uh, the math behind the models, which I feel is relevant to the, the, the ethics thereof uh, in different circumstances. So what is uh, machine learning, which people are commonly calling AI, which is machine learning, uh, so can someone describe this to me, uh, and describe this to the audience? Uh, so, um, a machine learning algorithm is a, uh, is, is a set of math that takes a complicated input that could be 
uh, a photograph, that could be uh, a, a database, that could be a text prompt, uh, does some really interesting math to it, and then spits out a, uh, a an output of one form or another, whether that's grouping and classifying the input, whether that's generating a totally new output in the, the sense of like, chat GPT, like, hey, here's a prompt, and boom, here's a whole bunch of text that got spat out. Um, most, the, 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 the generative AI models, which is things like chat GPT or mid-journey, uh, and most of the, the modern stuff that is really taking a lot of jobs that haven't yet been taken, um, is based on uh, a, 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 an organizational principle called neural networks. And the idea behind that is you take your input data, you turn it into, people might remember matrices from high school uh, math, which is just basically a way to organize data in like a grid. You take the matrix, you multiply it by a bunch of other matrices, you multiply those matrices by each other, and then by other matrices still, you keep doing this in a way that generates more and more and more matrices, uh, and multiplying them by one another, and then you start doing it in a way that winnows down the number of matrices until you generate some sort of output. Um, and the, the reason why all that matters, the reason why I bothered to mention this, is um, AI works in ways that are fundamentally different to how human minds operate. An AI model is doing incredibly complicated math that is fundamentally finding statistical relationships between things and then using those statistical relationships to generate something. And that's not the way human minds operate. It's fundamentally different. And so everything that an, an AI model that uses a neural network does is not like anything any human being has ever done in human history. Uh, clear as mud? Great. And I will just confirm we are recording so that everyone is hearing this. Yes, excellent. The AI will now. No, we're just seeing it. Uh, so, <clears throat> to start this conversation off, I would like us to divide this into uh, only half of it talking about the nightmare uh, universe that we are entering, and then try to dedicate at least a portion of the following time to see are there uh, ethical uh, uses and discussing those. I will be keeping an eye on the time because I... Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, basic assumption that everyone here agrees to. Capitalism is the problem. You should not starve by being an artist. You can't work. Okay, we're good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second part of that. Capitalism is the problem. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yes, but the specificity of you should not starve because you don't have enough labor uh, you're not getting paid to do work. Uh, AI are taking our jobs are only an issue because we still need jobs? Why? Um, yes, so that, that's basically out of the way. Now, AI! Why is it um, a challenge? 
So if I can step in as a professional content and social media marketer, um, these things are being built by the same people who built our social media networks. Um, and we, we are seeing in real time how that is going for everybody, which is poorly. Um, you know, uh, they, uh, you know, in bringing, building the previous iteration of this technology, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, they've consistently opted for what maximizes profit for shareholders, and uh, which just so happens to be the worst for human health, uh, and especially the mental health of children. Uh, and then the extra fun wrinkle on all of this is a lot of these uh, technologies are built using black box algorithms, uh, which means we don't know how they work. Uh, we cannot know how they work by their very nature uh, because it's a black box algorithm. And when I was explaining uh, this to my 11 year old and how uh, black box algorithms were being built by companies that were prioritizing profit over, uh, you know, the well-being of users, uh, my daughter said, wait a minute, isn't that how, like, every movie that starts with robots ending the world, like, how it starts? And I was like, you're not wrong, kid. Uh, so, if my 11-year-old is able to very cogently understand the dangers of black box algorithms, um, yeah, um, so that's, that's a thing I get to live with every day. Uh, and even if we could understand, even if the, the mechanism inside the black box were simple enough that you could, in a single human lifetime, parse why it delivers the outcomes it does, what you would find is that it's doing it based on statistical relationships, most of which won't make sense to a human. These are not statistic. many of them are not statistical relationships that we would look at as sensical. Uh, also, many of them uh, would be relationships that we would look at as sensical, but bad. Uh, that these are correlate, that, that AI models are only as good as the data they are trained on. They need to be trained on giant masses of data, which is one of the ethical concerns underlying them. And because this data is generated by the real world and the real world is unjust, data sets generated in the, in the real world contain injustices which the AI model then hard bakes into itself in learning from them. And those injustices, guess what? They're statistical relationships. Uh, more young black men in prison is a statistical relationship. And the AI model then dutifully spits out outcomes that include those statistical relationships, some of which are bad and some of which are genuinely incomprehensible by the human mind, and only a handful of which are things that we would point out and be like, yeah, man, that's cool. Like, I get that. Uh, so I believe the Amazon uh, resume searcher is the classical example. So Amazon made a preliminary neural network to screen resumes and find out who are going to be good, successful candidates. Strangely, all of the uh, good successful candidates based on their previous good hires in the organization's history were to look dudes, white dudes. Weird. Yeah, they pass performance predicting and guaranteeing that that's yeah. where you're going to draw all past discretionary decisions. Yeah. Not, not, not performance, discretionary decisions. They were there to perform. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I understand your so, point. Speaking yeah. of white guys dominating things, 
I, I want to hear from the non-white guy who has not spoken yet on the panel. Uh, sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. I just wanted to be sensitive. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so I, I okay. I think something I could share. Um, I'm sorry. What was the original question? Uh, so basically, uh, what are the big issues and negative issues with AI? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I definitely think bias is a definitely. A, a challenge um bias and also the way that my understanding kind of what you shared like of how ai works or not AI, but like how 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 these tools work it's a uh, machine learning more it's probably more accurate description uh like large language models uh, collect a lot of data um which is where i think the artists come in they take a lot of that data and train the model um, use an algorithm and then generate output. Um, so yeah, bias is definitely a concern. Um, copyright, I think, is a huge concern. Like uh, taking people's work without permission. Um, and then we're, I think, the wild west right now in terms of. I think the biggest thing really is like regulation. Uh, like how do you regulate this type of technology? Um, and I think recently there was new legislation just passed. Um, on, I think they're going to try to start an argument. Like, I think Biden just recently passed a law about like creating an agency. I don't know if it's like an agency, but like some kind of regulatory body on AI. Um, so it sounds like we're kind of like, what's interesting to me is like these are research. Yeah, we, I think we're aware of the issues, but it's like, okay, now we're going to see in real time how regulation is going to actually enforce, uh, like really guardrailing this new technology. So, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is uh, the data sources that are fed into these neural networks. Uh, we're the like the two big ones that I can think of are art from the internet, art photographs, medical records, etc., uh, and text, uh, often taken from uh, creative works. Uh, the actual reason why uh, the data set was collected theoretically legally for art for Midjourney was Stable Diffusion, who pulled it out of a research exemption on copyright law. Because they were doing research on how these neural networks would work, uh, which was then picked up by other groups that then monetized it. Because you no, know, they weren't uh, violating people's copyright. They were just relying on a model that was derived using a loophole for researchers. So that's basically how all every image on the internet, including like medical records and other similar uh, data, got scooped up by Midjourney. Uh, yeah, it's it's not great, and like um, for. Um, artists, it's a real nightmare scenario where artists have basically already been put out of business, uh, like, uh, except for a handful of uh, people with really established careers, um, because um, the thing that uh, helps them earn a living is their style, which they have spent years and thousands of hours developing. And when an AI, um, like, there are artists who, um, when you search their name on Google, the images that come up first are AI-generated images because what people learn is you put this artist's name 
skin and it gives you a thing that looks like this artist made it. And so now that artist has no way of getting work. And Midjourney especially even will like recreate works. Like if you want to work in that artist style, it will often like generate like something like that artist's signature or something very similar to it. Um, so when it comes to uh, text generative AI, um, that is a lot less dangerous uh, because it can only give you the most reductive cliche written by high school on a deadline uh, copy. Uh, although it's getting better, but um, it's still incapable of creating truly original thought or analysis. But um, with visual, uh, like uh, generative AI, um, like the regulation is basically uh, closing the barn door after the horses have escaped because um, the, the damage has already been done. And I would like to, to circle back to something that, that Jason had said and, and, and uh, quibble with it to a certain extent. Uh, I feel the, the copyright issue uh, is a sideshow. Uh, copyright is a legal issue, right? And we're here to talk about the, the ethics of it, and the law and the ethics are often very distinct. Uh, lawyers can and have begun to and will for a long time argue all day long what the whether using AI, using somebody else's work that is under copyright in an AI training set violates copyright, but that is separate from the ethical debate over whether it is okay to use that. Um, and I personally feel that um, that that what is is more important is is the ethical question, right? Of whether it is okay, not least because I have no ability to control or or, or input the, the the legal argument. I think it's your turn. Yeah. I, hi, I'm the legal argument. Um, and I guess in this case. No, I don't want to spend the time on this panel saying that, oh, just because it's legal means it's ethical. No, we're taught that in law school. That's why lawyers have to go through an ethics class that takes only about six months in a three-year education. Because it, it's it's a it's an afterthought, let's face it. Um, at least in the United States. But um but yes, uh, AI is a mess both in ethics and the legal front of things. Hopefully, actually, in, actually in this, I hope to contribute that uh, law is trying to wrap a lasso around as much of the AI monster and get studios to um, to remember that art, human artists exist. Um, there are going, there was a wonderful situation that just so happened that where hubris met social media and the government saw in the case of um i'm forgetting the artist i'm forgetting the author's name notably not an artist uh who wrote a comic book called zadaya of the dawn is anyone familiar with this oh yes yeah i don't remember the guy but he's not an artist that's where he gets in trouble um he wrote a comic book story he put all the the text in the various panels and not being an artist and not wanting to hire an artist he took mid-journey and made a picture for every panel and submitted it for federal copyright protection initially the copyright office said cool this just looks like a comic book that we're fine with 
And the author then went to Twitter and said, hi, I succeeded in copywriting my AI work. And the trademark office looked at this from their Twitter account and in a very rare move, uh, sent him another notice that said, by the way, new facts have come to light. We're retracting all the protections you have on the image parts of this. You still get protection for the store. And now it's led to a position where anyone can use any picture in his book. They just can't use the story text included. He did have a counter argument, which was, but wait, I generated these with Midjourney, but then I went through Photoshop and I corrected them all so that all the hands had five fingers and looked, you know, fairly passable. <laughs> And the Copyright Office officially said and, and denied that appeal uh, argument by saying that the amount of editing being used did not amount to a level of human ingenuity and enough contribution to qualify them to have the, uh, the uh, copyright protection. And that's left the industry in a very interesting space where we don't know how much editing one might require because the the office didn't shut the door entirely, but they have uh, they've made it a very wild west gray zone when it comes to how much do you need to edit. It isn't a ten percent change in order to make it so you're not, you know, uh, plagiarizing like some people use as a rule of thumb. It's much murkier than that. Um, I'll also comment where the law meets uh, current industry practices. Um, uh, there are uh, no, I don't care what naming names on the internet. There are publishers, uh, big publishers, sell a lot of books uh, that raise six figures a couple times a year on Kickstarter that are paying their writers three cents a word. Um, you know, uh, the agreed ethical rate for writers is ten cents a word before the pandemic. It's definitely higher now. I don't, I, I don't know what the math legislation is, but like. Three cents a word is, um, you know, and 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 the the level that they're paying their artists, uh, I couldn't pull it out of my brain, but it's it's similarly insulting. So there is a race to the bottom mentality, and um, the RPG market tolerates it uh, because uh, the margins in tabletop role playing are terrible. It's why no one does this professionally. Um, my Kickstarter that I ran for my our traveling home, and I'm just using my work because I know all the numbers. Um, it was the best I had ever done on a Kickstarter. I did everything myself. I did the layout, I did uh, the planning, I did the uh, production, I did the fulfillment, you know, like, uh, well, I had contractor, but so I did everything. My margin was 27%. I kept 27% of $24,000, and it was the best that I had ever done on a Kickstarter. And that is why this is extremely relevant because this isn't just a publishing issue. It is it is a issue of what we as RPG consumers are willing to purchase. Um, the fact that we're already willing to purchase uh, games from these very large publishers, where I mean, it's like I'm going to say it's a, it's it's not even an open secret. It's it's extremely common practice. If you know anyone who freelances in the industry, they will talk about how abusive publishers are um, and like they face no consequence so that's like um, this isn't just a people on this side of the table issue it is a everybody who enjoys RPGs issue 
So one shining silver lining that I like out of uh, the copyright office decision is basically not I, I think not technically, but basically what they established was that AI generated works are public domain. And that means it is completely unusable for any corporation that has an IP because that would poison their uh, IP, potentially. I mean, we have major corporations with the Unicode character as a logo, but continue. Uh, what I mean is, it is now a much... Uh, yep, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you were in the legal department, would you want uh, them to be including AI art in an IP? So we, we get into a small problem that Batman caught. Actually, it was Sherlock Holmes. Sorry, Batman's innocent in this case. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and Disney kind of, by allowing characters to be separately copyrightable from the images they partake in, there's a certain level of ability to use AI-generated work where the picture itself is public domain. You can't really do anything with it, let alone print it out in your printer without someone getting angry because you're having this unauthorized use of the character in. Similar to how, um, you know, you as the artist may draw a picture of a celebrity, you still would not be able to use that copyright without their right of publicity attached. And there's sort of the multiple intellectual properties can be within a similar, within the same uh, image. And it doesn't create the the full effect and protection of saying, "Hey, it's it's uh, public use, therefore no one's going to use it." Um, you, if you own the character, so it, I'm I'm thinking more in animation. If you had a human artist do the keyframe for each scene, each character, and build in all the splat imagery with AI. We don't have anything right now stopping that. It's a very bad scene for animation. I, I believe we have unions, and I believe they did well. That, um, it, that speaks to something that's happening in marketing, and content marketing specifically, which is um, AI is not going to replace individual human marketers. The problem is that it's replacing fractional marketers. And so, oh, and this has been a trend with technology over time. So over time, there was less and less room for humans and marketers. So it's not that, like, uh, one mark, like the job loss is going to be equivalent to like thousands of people, but it's more um, new people are not going to be hired at the same rate, and so over time uh, the field shrinks um, because uh, corporations are like, great, so now we can squeeze five people's worth of work out of one person, uh, you know, and it, it continues that trend where you know productivity uh, increasing has been completely decoupled. It's the same in my industry. Yay. <laughs> so, uh, do we want to start to toggle to slightly more optimistic than the doom and gloom? Ooh, I've got a doom and gloom thing if relevant. But I'll oh, go, go to the doom and gloom. So we still have some doom and gloom space. Okay. Um, so I'm here uh, playtesting a game in which uh, the Luddite Risings are an important component. 
Uh, Luddites were, the, were a, a popular movement in approximately 1812, England and Scotland, uh, that um, f opposed automation in the, tech, in the textile industry. Um, it was an enormous mass movement. You had riots containing tens of thousands of people, smashing machines, burning mills, intimidating and sometimes murdering the capitalists responsible for this automation. When you look at a graph of the number of power looms in Birmingham through the 1800s, you cannot see the Luddite risings on that graph. The number of new machines coming online was so rapid that one of the largest mass movements in British history did not make a dent in the rise of new machines. And all those people put out of work by the, 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 the mechanization of the textile industry. We are often promised that like, oh, mechanization and automation will create new jobs. And that is the way it worked through the 20th century. That is not how it worked in the 19th century. No new jobs, functionally, no new jobs were created by this mechanization. It drove people out of work. People were not able to stop it, even though they, they were incredibly successful in organizing. And people were simply worse off as a result, except for a small number of people who got extraordinarily rich. Through the 20th century, this was not the model. The 21st century is a giant question mark. I am of the opinion that we do not yet know whether AI models will be like computers in that they drove a whole bunch of people out of work but created more new, better jobs to offset, or whether they will be like the power loom in that they just drove tons of people out of work and like left everybody worse off as a result. Giant question mark. That is my scary story. Oh. No, no, it's yours. It's yours. Run. I'm waiting for this moment. Okay, so uh, the reason why I feel very strongly about this, uh, I am riddled with mental illness, uh, and I'm trans, uh, and I came out as trans at the beginning of the pandemic, so it's been a while for years. Um, so uh, when my crowdfunding failed because Twitter had died, um, uh, it left me in this awful place where uh, if no one's gonna buy and play my games, why make them? Um, and I didn't make anything for six months. So for six months, the only thing that I wrote was the most soulless marketing copy uh, for Telecom, and it was literally killing me. Um, so that's when I was like, okay, chat GPT. Uh, what can I do to make, get chat GPT to make my job more efficient just from a standpoint of um, helping me reclaim enough writing spoons to write my own projects again and find meaning and fulfillment in using my writing skills. Uh, and that is a thing that I have been doing. Um, so I get it to do all of the most soulless, stupid, vapid bits that anyone who speaks English write a social media post caption. Give me 10 suggestions for email subject lines for this email newsletter. Here's a blog post. Give me a hundred words for an email newsletter to get people to read the blog post. Uh, here's a web page. Uh, it's too wordy. Make it simpler, but make sure you feature these keywords, right? It's it's the most soulless, stupid tasks that because I hate them and I'm neurodivergent, I could beat my head against them for like half a day. Uh, so I don't do that. Um, the other thing uh, that I have been using it for is my own stupid neurodivergent brain. Um, 
which has been uh, greatly successful. I had to break up with my virtual personal trainer, not because I stopped exercising, but because I got really into like Kung Fu and I was like, shit, I'm 41 and I can't do both. Um, but I, I like couldn't make myself write this email for two months and then finally I went to ChatGPT and I was like, hey, ChatGPT, I need you to write me an email. Here's why I need you to write the email. Here's all the facts I need you to include in the email. I also do need you to hit this tone. Uh, and you know, I just barfed everything that I needed it to say in bullet point form because I couldn't use my good words because I had too much anxiety about it. And then ChatGPT was like, great, here's an email. And I read it and I was like, that sounds really decent and compassionate and human. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, and I copied and pasted it and sent it to my virtual, virtual personal trainer. So like the reason why I feel really strongly about this is um, it doesn't have to be the world where the robots replace the artists uh, and we all starve. Um, there is so much potential uh, for this technology to be used to help neurodivergent people in doing things that make our lives suck. Uh, I have been improving the quality of my life uh, by offloading these tasks that like a human shouldn't have to do. Uh, no human marketer wants to do these jobs. Uh, if you know, so why not let the robots do it so I can make more gay things? Uh, because it was literally a situation where like I don't have the energy to do both. So how can I get the robots to do some of this so I can make gay things that will help me stay sane and alive? Um, and the same with finding those tasks uh, that I need to do but I can't. And I know a lot of people with executive dysfunction who really could apply that the same way. So like, how can we use that technology to, cause like, God, there's so many neurodivergent people. Like, honestly, like, how can we use technology in those ways to help people? Um, or even just make people aware that that's a thing that they can do. That is a, that's a way we can be, because I feel really strongly that um, queer existence uh, and queer thriving is resistance. Um, and so, and yes, there's an issue with fruit of the poison tree. It might all be fruit of the poison tree. I, it's capitalism, definitionally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, like the, the training data is a sticky wicket that I can't answer. I, I come down on the side of um, <laughs> the way that I am using it is ways that is not replacing humans and it is being used to improve human quality of life, aka mine. Um, but like in a way that also isn't harming anyone else and so like uh having spoke about the dangers of black box algorithms i do want to like um represent that point of view that like there there are ethical use cases um that like exist and can help people yeah um so silver lining yeah i think um yeah i think in ai like the conversation of the there's like two extremes, like the Terminator scenario and like the utopic scenario. I think in my experience, I can say my, I think in my opinion, I think it's somewhere in the middle on um, the actual reality. Um, so I think to your point, I think there's always still a human behind the curation when they are tools used. So for example, in my agency, we use Midjourney for like image placeholders for our website. But at the end of the day, when we use, we generate, we spend hours on Midjourney, we, we still, need an artist's eye to like decide okay is this image okay or not uh this looks weird what can we do to change it like at the end of the day it's still a human that's behind the tool um so i think uh 
it's definitely reshaping how work looks, at least where, where I work. Um, and but yeah, at the end of the day, you still need like a designer artist to like be the one to like. Just, and also the the work, the way you prompt things, also like I think an artist would prompt things differently than someone who might not have that same uh, vocabulary. So uh, definitely how I observe that work is like at the end of the day, yeah, there's still artists behind the tool. Um, the other thing too is uh, I don't think like so uh, when I went to when I went to grad school, um, computer science was a very big area in that school. So one thing that that I learned from that was it's this is not an issue that just just affects artists. It's like it's a a very a very this is a concern that applies to labor in general uh, because. Uh, Technically, like from what I've learned from what what this technology is capable of, it can it can displace a lot of jobs. But if it's used properly or regulated properly, then like I don't think the like I don't think that like the country's gonna let like I don't know I don't know what the figure's gonna be like, but I don't think it's gonna be that extreme where like it's gonna be completely uncontrolled and it's just gonna grow itself. I don't think that's I just don't think that's. Uh, I hope that's not the case. Uh, I don't think it will be the case. Um, so yeah, I think it's, a, it's an issue of labor and not just art specifically. Um, so the other silver lining I see is in healthcare and other industries. So one thing I do see is AI uh, will make it a lot easier to diagnose medical issues, um, personalized um, medical care, uh, and also um, really help like yeah, I think there's like area that area of opportunity that can actually make certain other aspects of life easier. Like health, I think healthcare is an example. Yeah. Wow, that's that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was all yeah no um to to both to to several segments of of what you were mentioning. Uh, I've heard of two recent lectures given on AI at different. Uh, conferences, one for photographers at a university, and one in uh, at a large medical conference that happened somewhere in Nevada or Utah. Um, and at the photographer panel, it was teachers assuring that in the future AI would still there'd still be a need to study photography, but that their their photography students that were going to the professional industry were being marketed more as image engineers rather than fine art photographers in that they still had the theory in the eye to generate the images i mean to to create images faster and more close to what people were looking for than what you might otherwise get if you hit the generate button a hundred times and usually cheaper and higher quality i suppose um, because it may take several thousand iterations of generation to get that exactly what you're imagining for the cover of your work. If your consumer interest in not having something that looks to AI is strong enough to merit that. Um, but they, they, they're still hopeful in academia that photography will exist in 100 years. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, and then at the medical uh, conference, they were very much showing the efforts um, 
and successes that have recently been found when it comes to diagnosing a lot of the rarer autoimmune disorders and cancer um, instances. The, it was a lot of positive glow on this is easier to find now that there is mathematics to figure out the relation of uh, visual symptom signs. Uh, you don't? Or I, I've got a couple. I mean, I've got things, but like yeah, you, you do your thing, right? You're better so, prepared. Uh, I have two good examples, uh, one of which is uh, it is ethically murky to generate new text uh, using ChatGPT, etc. However, editing down existing text is glorious. Oh, I have a 400 word chapter. I want it to be exactly 271 words. Uh, and make it a little bit more sarcastic. It will count 271 words exactly in a way that would be brutally painful for a human editor, but is trivially easy. And I'm giving it the corpus. It's working off of my words. It's just editing them to fit the desired shape. Uh, so that is very helpful. Um, Can I just clarify, how is that not ethically as murky as you expect? Because it's not pulling from other sources fundamentally. It's pulling from my, I am giving it a text and saying, hard disagree. Hard Re reduce it as opposed to create new. It, it, like, it is fundamentally saying, I'm going to find some synonyms for words that you have used instead of making new arguments. But the technology is still. I mean, on it, the yes, it, yes, it's built on something the, that's on capitalistic foundation. Something that's very important to understand about the mathematics behind these models is that all of the the the, the training data, right, that these these models are are trained on over and over and over again to deliver these astonishing outputs. All that training data is not present in the model, right? If I train a model on Dickens mm -hmm. and then I print out all the, the actual matrices that the model uses, you will not find a word of Dickens anywhere in there. It has all been, it, it has all been used to adjust arbitrary numbers, and those exact same arbitrary numbers are used regardless of what use you put them to. So whether you are generating New, take, a new text or you are reducing down old text, it is using the exact same matrices. The technology is totally unchanged and generating new text is not going back into other people's works, taking a phrase here, a sentence here, you know, copy pasting it all together. It does not work that way. It is generating genuinely de novo using these, these mathematical relationships and it is doing the exact same thing when it's shrinking down. I, I just think that it is primarily copying me in this instance. So I find that that's a less problematic. It's not replacing a human writer because I'm a human writer. So I just want to I just want to highlight this. This I don't want to get bogged down in this. This is an example of like the murky ethics of when we no. talk about ethical use of AI. It's important to understand that the parenthetical behind every statement is in as much as using AI constructed by capitalists to extract maximum value uh, and profit from human labor uh, can be said to be ethical. Yes. Right? Uh, we just using it is 
ethically messy, right? So even even the ways that I'm using it to improve my life, to hack my stupid brain, uh, that wouldn't be possible without the training data. So um, the, the, the people who are like on the front lines like do not agree about the ethics, and that's part of why we're having this panel. Uh, just have a quick question. Uh, so one of the considerations here is the concern that the use of AI is replacing jobs, is replacing work that people have. Editing is also a job. What is the ethical difference between replacing the work of a writer versus replacing the work of an editor? Um, is there an ethical difference? Uh, well, something? because I would be doing that self-editing to, to cut it down to 271 words. So I you're would replacing not be, yourself. I would be replacing myself, and I'm fine with replacing my own job with a robot. But is that use of AI to do the work of editing? That, that, that's a, I, yeah, that's a big ethical question. Um, a slightly clearer uh, good use um, is actually, uh, I believe it's Microsoft that worked with uh, Project Gutenberg. Uh, and they did text-to-speech using uh, machine learning for huge numbers of out-of-print texts because the 19, uh, 1871 Gentleman's Guide to Fine Grooming is never going to be economically viable in a capitalist system to pay an audiobook narrator. But by using an AI to do this, it is now accessible to people with visual disabilities. That is actually, I think, in a, like, there is no room in capitalism and no money in capitalism for this to ever be done by a human. But by using automated tools, we can make something more accessible without costing any jobs, because those jobs don't exist. I view that as more ethical-ish. To go back to the point of editing, I think that's why uh, people who are currently using ChatGPT for writing related purposes. Um, everyone I've talked to is really careful about their use case. When I use it to edit things, it's something that I have written, and I don't want to write the social post caption. I don't. I don't want to write the thing for LinkedIn and for Facebook and for Instagram. I don't want to write the thing that goes in the email newsletter. I don't want to write the reminders to go to the event. Right? So, like, that's a thing that I've already written. Um, and uh, or or the other example is like. Um, editing all of the copy on an existing website uh, to have better SEO. Um, that is writing for robots, okay? So that is like, I, I want to get robots to write for the robots. Um, and and that's, that's an example where it's like, yes, you're still using a technology in as much as anything can be, right? So you still have all that ethical consideration, but like, like Please, robot, write copy for this other robot. I, is is a is a use case that like I feel okay about. Um, but yeah, you're not you're not wrong about uh, editing. Is um, it is a job done by humans, and when you replace editors, you are replacing either yourself or other people, and then you get into the thing of marketing of replacing what fractional people. Or... Is that different though? I feel like maybe it is replacing a job where you're generating content versus one where you're editing content. Is that ethically distinct? It seems like there's a difference. I'm inclined to agree with you, uh, or, or rather, I, I don't necessarily feel that they are distinct uh, ethically. And I want to be, be real clear in, in what I'm trying to say here, which is uh, I don't necessarily think that they are both wrong. I also don't necessarily think that they are both right. Um, I just think that they are 
ethically very similar, and that if one is wrong, then the other one is probably wrong, and if one is right, then the other one is probably right. Um, but I, yeah, I don't necessarily think that, the, the, I don't necessarily recognize a distinction. I mean, any publisher will tell you that you need good editors. Yes. Um, yeah, I do think that, um, like, uh, in these arguments about AI art, um, uh, like, people start comparing the values of different types of work, where, it, like, it, it usually, a lot of times it ends up with people implying that creative work is inherently more valuable or uh, morally good than, like, other forms of work that people do or important to society. Uh, I think that gets into, like, thorny areas when it comes to, like, what, what types of work is valued in society and what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. absolutely. Uh, so, now that, like, we're past the initial uh, opening of Pandora's box of um, a lot of these neural networks, um, code becoming available as open source. Um, and it's possible for someone like me, who barely knows any C-sharp, to make my own NLP, our natural language processor, which is a type of machine learning. Uh, I am not a computer engineer. I am a game designer. But I can make my own NLP and add my own trading data. Right? I don't have to use stolen work. I can put in my own trading data. And I'm not an expert in this. Why aren't we seeing people who are railing against how this training data being used making their own ethical databases? I mean, I think we're starting to see it. There's like a hundred authors that uh, are suing OpenAI. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you're certainly seeing something very similar within uh, the art community. Um, so I think we're seeing the beginning of it, but the, the people most affected by it are the people in the creative professions who are the least technical. And so it, it's going to... I'd like to just respond to that, because when, when you take a, a, a large language model and you put in your own writing, you are not doing complete training. You are you are, you are doing edits to that large language model to make it more like you. But if you just had a complete blank neural network and tried to train it, there wouldn't be nearly enough. You couldn't possibly write nearly enough to get anything like the chat you can see. So you're still using. Um, so what I did, um, I used a large amount of open source and uh, free from copyright works. And it was trained completely from, from, from random weights? Yeah. Um, it, it took a long time. It took a long time. But. Um, yeah, it was a guy who was working on Assassin's Creed who kind of taught a seminar on, because I went for a video game. Oh, okay, that's the It was an insane amount of data, but it wasn't any copyrighted works. It wasn't bulk pulled from the internet. It was deeply curated free books. I, I think we're seeing the beginning of it. Yeah. You know, these, these big lawsuits are starting. And while individual artists might not necessarily have the funds to make those efforts, there are major intellectual property owners. And I use this in the strongest air quotes because it is a very legal fiction that I'm about to say. The original authors of uh, many millions of works like Adobe and uh, Yes, yes. Oh, what's it called? Oh, yes, good old Getty Foundation. Um, they are very concerned with this open AI business and have 
happy to uh, provide the people with ethical alternatives where they own everything that goes into the thing. They own it as the original authors as work for hire intended, but that's a different topic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is it ethical to use a large language model generative text? Like, let's say you give it a prompt. Like, for example, you say you're, you're doing a game, you say, you know, what are a couple of, of events that could happen to you in a diner? And ChatGPT gives you 10, and you don't do any of those deliberately. Like, you just think, you say, I'm not doing any of those 10 things, I'm thinking of 10 other things. Is that ethical? I refuse to answer because I genuinely so I wouldn't even have an answer for you if you copy pasted those 10 results I genuinely believe this is this is my deeply held belief here I genuinely believe that AI that the, the, the machine learning algorithms are so alien to human experience that no existing ethical frameworks have room for them, and that we need to develop new ethical frameworks from base principles. I'm just really quick give like a, uh, also not answer, but also give a practical answer at the same time. Uh, I crowdsource my game, game design all the time. Facebook is amazing. The game I'm here play testing, uh, the prompts are all extremely haunted and given to me by actual humans. So uh, we don't need to ask the robots. We can ask humans. Uh, we need to wrap up. To uh, so, uh, okay, one, two questions, and then we're done. Okay, question. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a way to opt out of, even if it was a single person, you know, curating their own content, a way to opt out of your content being part of the curation. That is changing. I would like to talk about some tools, if that's okay. Please. Uh, University of Chicago, I believe, has something called Glaze. If you are, I, uh, if you are an artist, run. You have to ask for access. You have to tell them you're an artist. You can ask for it. They will give it to you, and you can run all of your art before you put any of your own art online. Run it through this, and what happens is you, if someone says, "I want art by you," in their text prompt. If that was part of the, you know, if, if they were training it, poisons, it on you. It poisons the training data. Yes. So, so the, the just, results are useless. Yes. Uh, and they're also doing something similar where, you know, as part of the same tool, that it will completely poison the whole training set. So that's a way to opt out. And the similar kind of idea that you could apply for, for example, PDFs, if, it, if there's text in it, would be to change all of the periods and other things that are in there that are just like, uh, you know, that have other Unicode examples like, you know, uh, Georgian version of the letter H. And you can change that to perhaps something that automatically does it and that will completely ruin your PDF for training purposes. Also makes it unable to be read by text-to-speech. So the, the, the blind yes. no there's, longer there's a, Yeah, there's two So uh, quick comment and then we're done. So yes, you had some? Oh, I had a question. OK, yeah. I'm so kind of involved if you want to just skip that. Uh, yeah, let, let's talk about that later then. All right, so where can we find you? Starting from here. Uh, Tristan Zimmerman, find me at moltensulfur.com. That's the best place. Uh, Ash Kreider, uh, so my itch is Wunderbeek. 
www.wunderdeek.itch.io. You can find me on Instagram or the Young Vlogs. Uh, I've been Eric Whalen. You can find me at Game Lawyer Whalen by typing into most uh, any other combination of things. I'm also on Geek uh, Public, which is a YouTube channel. And I'm Jason Pitt from Dense Select Publishing, uh, DenseSelecting.com. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you guys.